You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children and still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders and under our beds and in our closets. And together we'll realize, whoa, that's pretty that's dark. Pretty dark. You're ready for me to launch into my other issue today, <laughs> listener. Hello, hi, welcome hi. to that's pretty dark. Welcome. We're just we're we're you know talking about road trips, road trips and travel because it's almost um, summertime, and also we're about to take one little little mini one, a day trip, not a road trip. But my name is Kaylin, and I'm Christian, and uh, I am currently right now as we speak missing seeing uh, the Eras Tour in Nashville. Mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. Taylor Swift and Phoebe Bridgers, two of my favorite human beings on this planet Earth. <laughs> um, if you disagree with me, that's fine. I'm not going to yell at you about it or anything. So don't let that put you off. But well, I don't think they disagree that they're your favorite people. Sure, sure. Exactly. So if you relate or um, understand this FOMO that I'm having in any way, please reach out. We can console each other. Um, I technically had a ticket. My cousin invited me. I actually did Granted, I did see it last weekend in Atlanta. I can't complain too much, but I was like in the nosebleeds and whatever. Yeah. And my cousin who lives in Nashville, shout out Amber. She listens. Hey, Amber. Hi, Amber. She invited me and I couldn't make it. And I also convinced myself I would be having all of these health problems. Like you guys know, I have all these chronic illness issues. And I was like, yeah, traveling two weekends in a row, it's just probably not going to work out for me. And then lo and behold, I feel great. I feel fine. All the mm-hmm. work stuff that I was worried about got moved around and the world opened up in front of me and I could have made it, but I had already told her to give the ticket to someone else. So <laughs> they will be having a glorious evening and I will be finding whatever live stream bootleg. <laughs> just somebody with the their internet. phone just streaming. <laughs> we will all be collectively sobbing into our phones as we watch the live streams from here on out. I will excuse myself from that. Um, <laughs> sob fest. I'll be enjoying my night because I'm, I'm honestly having a great day. It's a great yeah, day. Yeah, you said that, which it's so, I'm so glad to hear it. This is a wonderful day. You're in such a good mood. It's helping both of us. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I'm helping you very much, but <laughs> I'm helping I mean, I'd rather, myself. can you imagine if I was in this position and you weren't in a good mood? Yeah. I'm trying to be the change that I want to see <laughs> on our recording days. I'm so proud of you. You know, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, you're listening to That's Pretty Dark. This is episode 50. This is, oh my God, this is episode 50. I forgot episode completely 50. about episode 50. Darklings, you have been here with us for 50 episodes wow. and I just can't believe it, honestly. it It's surreal. And I know that a lot of people have been going on for a lot longer, but when we dreamed up this little podcast when it was just a twinkle in our eye a couple <laughs> years ago. It's really cool to be at a point where we have 50 episodes out there. Just a, a dark spot in the back of the, the brain. Yeah. Had yeah, it examined more, for- Less uh, a twinkle, more of a uh, it was, black yeah, hole. Yeah. It was like, is this a tumor? What is this? We need to g- give you a, <laughs> what do they do? What do they give you for a <laughs> brain scan? Yeah. Brain scan. Yeah, MRI. Let's An MRI. Let's, let's figure out what this dark spot is in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it was, that's a pretty dark podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so. And here we are. Wonderful. 50 episodes later. 50 episodes. Thank you for 50 episodes and for listening all the while. And to say thank you, we're going to cap off our hangout with David Stephen Cohen and Jody Gray. That's right. Part two. Yeah, part two. Um, if you didn't hear part one, go back and listen to it. It was a really, Please do. really good time. You know, 
what we're doing here is really trying to get to the bottom and the core of what made all of the entertainment so, for lack of a better word, dark yep. in our childhood. Emotionally complex shit. Emotionally complex shit. We made it so emotionally complex. And this this is the first time that we're really able to, you know, get those opinions from people that were there mm-hmm. in the middle of it, creating that, you know, media at that time. That's right. Especially in this this part of our conversation, we really get to dive into some of those questions. We, we learn a little bit more about how horror as a genre uh played in their lives and how that may have trickled into what they created. Mm-hmm. Their opinions on children's media at the time and also, you know, some fan theories like we talked about in our intro episodes. We kind of hear from the That's right. the horse's mouth. Not that either of you are horses, David and Jody are <laughs> lovely, wonderful people, but we get to hear from, you know, the actual sources of the darkness. Sources, not horses. Sources, not horses. <laughs> it's just such a cool opportunity. And we never would have gotten this opportunity if it weren't for all of you, you know, listening and being interested in it and wanting to explore those dark corners of your brains as well. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Well, without any further ado, enjoy part two. <laughs> that rhymed. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the idea of like super simple versus super complex, in one of the Courage episodes that we did, we spoke about some fan theories that like at the end of one of our introduction episodes. And sometimes people can take it and stretch it real far. Um, (laughs) And then other times they're you know, so simple that just the 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 tiniest seed of an idea that kind of it it puts in our head, we're like, oh, well, that actually could could be true. That could work. Mm -hmm. So to that end. Were there ever any moments when you guys were kind of building, world building behind the scenes, like in the writer's room, or were you ever trying to ask those questions and explain the universe further, whether it became like serious canon or maybe it just became, you know, inside jokes for you guys? I'll tell you, the fan theories are fascinating. And Mm -hmm. and a lot of that is connecting dots after the fact, after Mm -hmm. the numbers have been stripped away. Yes. Um, It's all about dots. And, um, We didn't have the time, sure, the luxury to like overanalyze. You know, once I got done with the script, it's it's gone unless <laughs> I get a call from the studio saying like, "You got to fix this line because she won't say it that way." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. rarely happened. But as, as far as these the theories con- are, are concerned, I mean, John might certainly have had images in his mind, and a lot of it, most of the show is is of John's psyche. You know. Mm-hmm you know, his his background. And then there are things that you put into episodes that are private jokes mm-hmm. uh, for people or for yourself. But every episode was another reality. We didn't mm-hmm. have to because uh, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. they could easily have been spies or mistaken as spies or have sure. doppelgangers who were spies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's that could be an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you didn't need it. You didn't right. need it at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. We were writing our own, you know, insanity and and, and mm-hmm. twisting our own tales. Mm-hmm. So we didn't need to go further than what the script called for, really. Sure. Yeah. And then, and, and you know, looking back, I, I you know, I, I'm starting to feel as as other people do about, you know, it's like, oh, there's more there than meets the eye. And I wrote it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I really like when that happens in as a writer, when things surprise us, because it feels like they're kind of there all along. They were going to be there for us to find regardless. I mean, the, one of the things I found very early on in Courage 
I'm not sure if these were Irv days or you had already been there. You know, I went to a couple of sessions and with John and we had a lot of discussion about plot and character and all that kind of stuff. For me, there was like a Bible. There was a courage mm-hmm. Bible and it was very straight up. Mm-hmm. It was like this guy and this woman, they live in nowhere, Kansas, and they have this dog and there's monsters all over the place, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and courage is always trying to save them and he succeeds. And that's the whole premise. It was like, you know, like four paragraphs or something. So you could read a lot of different things. I asked John a lot of questions about a lot of things. One of them was, why do Eustace and Muriel have opaque glasses? He said, (laughs) because they're spiritually blind. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Wow. Incredible. You know, stuff like that. Right. And, and Incredible. Th- that's like more subtle stuff than than theories, you, you sure. know, which are much larger. Mm-hmm. Like representations of those elements, like you mentioned, of his psyche. Yeah. It's kind of like Paul is dead. Mm-hmm. This thing goes crazy all over the world. Paul McCartney is dead. No, mm-hmm. he's not dead. Here I am. I'm crossing the street, you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah. So all this stuff takes off. And with the Internet, it's even crazier. There's so many wacky stuff, wacky bits and and, and threads. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find some of them funny, some of them interesting, and some of them truly nuts. Yeah. And I, I don't really go after them, you know? Yeah. If they're, you know, people send me stuff sometimes. What do you think about this? As far as I'm concerned, I go back to that, those four paragraphs. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it's about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, if I could jump on that, Jody, you're, you're absolutely right. And this is something that I point out if I'm teaching a class or if I'm just talking like this, the concept behind courage was brilliant because Mm -hmm. it was simple. It was pure Mm -hmm. courage has to live up to his name. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's hard for him because he's, he's frightened to save his mother figure from all the monsters in the world that she's blind to because she does not see evil. Mm -hmm. That was my vision of her yeah yeah that is, that's okay, beautiful yeah. she doesn't see she she doesn't recognize evil she would not have married eustace mm, uh sure. if she did and and uh wow. you know so that, that was kind of my construct you know you know for and it, look maybe it's something john said to me that i just that just embedded mm-hmm. itself I, I don't i don't even really remember but yeah. So the construct and, and she's married to like the worst guy in the world mm-hmm. and she's and she's a magnet for every every heart. bad thing. So, yeah. And courage has to, and it's just such a pure little triangle and, and something mm-hmm. that's relatable and immediately gettable. I mean, some of the mm-hmm. best ideas seem that simple as we talked about songs with three chords, those four those sentences, that's the show for us. Mm-hmm. You know? And then there's all the other filigree and 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 you know, how you go deep into that mm-hmm. just because it's a, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a simple, you know, simple skeleton doesn't mean that you, it doesn't have great depth and, and potential mm-hmm. uh, in so many ways. It's like, and the also, rules, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you say like the rules and the logic of the courage universe, it exists in a vacuum. It's its own mm-hmm. world. So no fan theory is ever going to live up to what it actually was. Because it was its own, like you're, pocket you're applying of the universe. rules yeah. that don't apply. Yeah, it's very simple and pure. And it you know, the other, th- the other thing 
is that uh, if you guys had known, you know, I did the Scooby-Doo meets Courage thing. Andy mm-hmm. and I did this. Yeah. And um, so that was Thea's last performance. Yeah. Um, mm. They got a guy called uh, Jeff Berger or Berger who did Eustace and he really did a great job. And nice. Paul did a lot of voices on there and stuff. But um, as Muriel was in many ways the heart of the show, Thea was the heart. She was like amazing as Muriel. Mm. I mean, mm. she had a kind of innocence like in her performance that was so touching and so pure and so wonderful. You know, if there's ever going to be another Courage at all, I don't know who the fuck they're ever going to get to replace her. Because yeah, there was just can't. something about her that was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Dave, do you agree with that? I mean, oh, absolutely. Uh, her performance and her, they were hard to separate. Uh, I mean, they're distinctly different, but it was all of a piece. It was all of Thea mm-hmm. uh, as a singular human being. Yes, there was an absolute purity in her in her performance. You know, you believe that she didn't. Yeah. That she saw no evil. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. For it, and that, you know, her love for courage was pure. Part of the takeaway there, as I think about it now, is, you know, we can forgive people their blindness sometimes you know, to to certain things in the world. We all know people who don't pay attention to the same things we pay attention to mm-hmm. or are mm-hmm. scared by the same things we're scared by. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and some are harder to forgive than others, but <laughs> it, it never occurred to me for a moment that Muriel, like, for God's sake, why doesn't she notice that courage was just like hauled away by some awful creature? Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, sure. I think, yeah, as you're speaking that it's kind of occurring to me, too, that she did that that innocence that you're talking about 100 percent comes through because I never get angry at her. I get angry at Eustace. You're supposed to get angry at him, but I don't get angry at her. I'm just like, oh, oh, no, Muriel, Muriel, like, oh, no, like I want to help her, too. I'm I'm looking at it through Courage's eyes. um, And that innocence is part of why, even though it continues to happen, you know, she never really learns her lesson or learns to pay attention, I guess. Like you said, it's easy to forgive her that because you believe that she's just not seeing it. Yeah. There's also some actors who are able and in the case of doing that in the animation makes it really extraordinary. There there are some actors out there who you don't see acting. You don't hear acting. Right. They're just that character. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, contemporaneously, Caitlin Deaver is this incredible actress who you never see acting. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. just inhabits that character. Mm-hmm. She becomes that character. And Thea was like that. Mm-hmm. Thea just wow. was Muriel. And uh, probably, you know, I, I actually never saw her, you know, doing mm-hmm. a, a performance in the studio because a lot of that stuff was done when I was nowhere around. But mm-hmm. um, I could just see her, you know, standing there. Yes, you doing that. Yeah. You know, she just yeah. had that wonderful thing. And Thea was petite. She wasn't. Chunky Muriel, she was a tiny little girl. <laughs> yeah, and I and at last time I saw her was at that yeah we both saw party, yeah. and and uh, it was very touching because Andy had passed away I, I, not that long before that, her husband, and uh, you know I, I gave her my you know belated condolences mm-hmm. and and asked her how she was doing, and she kind of like broke down a bit. Oh. And it was very touching. I mean, she was mm-hmm. very unguarded, an unguarded person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it showed in grief mm-hmm. as well, you know. And when she passed, there was 
like an outpouring of courage, love. Totally. For Muriel, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't think, you know, we had, I think we've had two Eustaces die and <laughs> nobody, and, and both of them uh, uh, with, with real high end resumes as far oh, as their. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. did a phenomenal job as the character. Yeah. yeah. The voice is iconic, but the character was not, or is iconic, but not for the ways that you'd want. So right, right. it doesn't get the same kind of fanfare. <laughs> yeah. Man. The other thing, but sort of a faz or everything that I love is, is courage, courage tattoos, and people send me pictures of courage tattoos. Yeah, yes. uh, And and my younger son is is uh, studying tattoo. Uh, wow. Okay. He's an artist. He, he went to school for uh, hip hop uh, production. Hmm. So of course he's a tattoo artist. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That but is very he, cool. You know, the other thing was on, on that last thing that night. Uh, that you're talking about that, uh, whatever it was, 20th anniversary of Courage, um, I took a bunch of pictures of Theo with John. They turned mm. out to be like the last pictures mm. wow. with John. And wow. so like when she died, I said, hey, John, here's some pictures. I don't know if you want to post these. Or what. But he posted them all. He said, you know, here we are. Here's, you know, Muriel mm. and myself. And this, yeah, it was just very touching. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is it, one thing it sounds like that the, the research didn't lie about because the things that I read did speak very highly of her and, and her relationship she, with John. Too. She was incredibly loved. And also relationship with Marty. They got really close during the, the Scooby-Doo mm. Courage shoot. Wow. And apparently from what Marty told me, they talked almost every night. They were both night owls. So they oh. would talk until like one or two o'clock in the morning or something. She was alone. Uh, yeah. Marty's wife is a nurse and, you know, would go to bed early or be out, you know, mm -hmm. working or something. And um, they became like really, really close. And Marty was really busted up totally because he had just found this right old yeah. soul that was a new friend. Right. Man. Oh, my gosh. Hearing that, like, it makes me, oh, it makes me want to tear up just because imagining, you know, all of the connections that I have to Courage and Muriel and their relationship, like, um, yeah, because it was so special between them two on the show for all those years. Like yeah. it just lives. Yeah, it was yeah. just like her, it was baked into her voice. I mean, oh, good. I just hear yeah. her voice in my head. Courage. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. Oh, that is one of, one of my favorite Muriel lines. Uh, I wrote it, but but I, I it just, you know, in, in <laughs> we, we were going to get to this. I really appreciate that you bring that up. We wanted but, to ask about favorite things that you've written. Sure. Yeah. Let's let's transition. Oh, well, into well, this. Yeah. Perfect. I'll answer the question you're about to ask. Uh, <laughs> I will have answered it once you ask it. So uh, uh, just a line. I mean, this, this speaks to the specificity of the character and uh, both in John's creation and uh, Thea's performance, certain words started suggesting themselves. Hmm. And and I think it might have been in, in Valkyries. It, it was it was in an episode or, or, or something. It was wasn't Goose God. It was something where she's taken into the clouds or something. Mm -hmm. It was Norse. There's probably Valkyries. But she shows up for what she thinks is like a, a cruise or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out, you know, and she's walking around, she says, oh my, this is all so authentic. Yeah, it's from, <laughs> it's from the Valkyries. And, yeah. and I just remember saying, I love that that word for her. Just like, I remember writing it and saying mm -hmm. like, that's, that's, so, that's so, so <laughs> right. It's so Muriel. And mm -hmm. You know, there was more than any other character in the show writing her dialogue. It, things just kept suggesting themselves mm -hmm. and, you know, certain Angloisms, certainly. 
But Courage, of course, hardly said anything. And there was mm-hmm. always an issue about whether he should say anything or not. And, all, yeah. I, I was really on the fence about it. I, you know, it's but and with Eustace writing his dialogue, there, you know, some lines were more fun than others to write. Mm-hmm. But it was it, a lot of it was it was Muriel and, and then the, the, the guest villain. Yes. Right. And, right. The, and, and courage reaction, usually wordless, you know, but certainly Fred, Freaky Fred was was <laughs> one of my favorite because it was in verse and not because he was holding courage prisoner in a bathroom <laughs> and shaving him, which scared the crap out of me. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty spooky. That, yep, that image is burned into my brain. Yeah, it, I, I think Linda Semensky, if I recall correctly, Jody, uh, uh, maybe you told me she, she was not a big fan. She was really creeped out by it. Wow. Uh, and some people were. Um, mm-hmm. and, and people, there are theories about what it's about. And I, I don't want to go into them unless you want to mention them. That's fine. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, where I've had to say that was not on my mind at all. Right. Uh, right. And, okay. and, and this was a concept that John presented, but, you know, but I didn't question it. I just fulfilled through for it. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there was so many, there was so many things, as you've mentioned, that came out of John's psyche. Stuff that we'll never figure out. There's mm-hmm. all, you know, stuff like uh, he had this thing about Albany, New York. You know, I'm not going to get into too many personal things with John, but he would, there would be all these little things baked in there, mm-hmm. you know, like get out of here. And then the suitcase would say Albany on it, you know, right. so it'd be like, you know, these kinds of things. <laughs> very specific to yeah, his. Very yeah. specific to him. And he yeah. had wow. self-ref- self-referential stuff all yeah. over the show. Yes. And the I, I had a little bit of insight because he and I spent a lot of time together at one time. He also, like, uh, I'll never forget the last show, which was, I believe, perfect, or that was in that was the first part of the last two 11s. And uh, he'd gotten this book that he was reading, obviously, when I, I don't know what he um, brought to you, David, but he was reading this book about perfection. And he was showing me all this stuff about how perfection is terrible and, you know, you should, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that was actually just kind of like, so John, that's kind of a construct. I think you're mm-hmm. always trying to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Just, no, you know, I'm not, you know, so it was like, <laughs> whatever. But it was just like, um, he had an incredible, like he did with visual images. He was always looking for great colors and mm-hmm. great images by going through art books and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, also his own private study. But he also had an incredible um, wide range of subjects that he was interested in mm-hmm. that he brought into the show. Whether he brought them to David as like two paragraphs and then he went out. But there was a lot of stuff behind that that somehow is probably baked into the show that mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like we were talking about earlier with collecting stories, and it seems like, you know, John had an extensive library in his yeah. head that he yeah. was pulling from. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was a psychedelic library. That too. It was well. I, I did want to further answer uh, your question about dialogue or things I wrote. That. One, mm-hmm. of the, one of the characters, and Jody and I were just talking about this recently, one of the characters I, I, I loved writing and, and felt like I was – sort of creating fr- from the inside hmm. uh, was Bushwick, Schwick 
from mm-hmm. Courage in the Big Stinking City, which is one of my yeah. favorite episodes. Yeah. Um, you know, and and the way I heard Bushwick was in this. You see that door? You want to know what's on the other side of that door? You don't want to know what's on the other side. It was, it was like <laughs> he speaks in threes. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I don't remember who who did the voice, but whoever it was nailed it. It was exactly what I was hearing, mm-hmm. uh, or, or you know, a, a version of exactly what right, I was hearing. Yeah. If that makes sense, it, it's like I I just found like a rhythm. You find a rhythm to a character mm-hmm. or a particular quirk that a character has. And there's in that first script we wrote in the Honey Bunnies that Roger and I wrote. There was a guy we went to college with who would interrupt himself. No. He wouldn't just interrupt himself. He would no. He <laughs> would stop everything he said. No, and he would build. And it was no, always no, and building bigger. <laughs> and we 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 just put that in a script. It didn't need any direction. And it was Sandy Barron, but he yeah. he, he was uh, uh, the agent Leo Bushmiller. And, and we just put that in. We just put every few words. No, <laughs> no, and and he got it. And that's you know one of the secrets to good dialogue is finding hearing the music in people's voices, mm-hmm. people's voices, hearing the rhythm and, and, and recording that in your head. And, mm-hmm. and, and in this case, I could sit down with my buddy and say, hey, let's do what I forget the guy's name, but the way he used to talk, remember that? Let's, let's put that in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, whether, whether it's a performer like Thea mm-hmm. with whom you're creating a character, I mean, that's one of the greatest relationships, whether you meet the, the performer or not, mm-hmm. you know, is, is like you're, you are sharing, said, said it about Madeline Kahn, very intimate thing, mm-hmm. uh, at least in my head at three in the morning when I'm <laughs> we. Yes, we completely, sure. completely Fully understand, understand yes. that <laughs> completely but, checks out. But the, my favorite uh, d- dialogue is always stuff that has some kind of rhythm to it, some kind of, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that you could score to or or could be a lyric, you know, yeah. and there are tricks to it. But there's something, you know, when it sort of emerges naturally. It's great. And I had as a San Diego Comic-Con a few years ago, a few years ago being a few years ago with an additional three years <laughs> of, of pandemic time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Back in, yeah, in, in those days, uh, as a San Diego Comic-Con in the teens of this century, I was wearing my Courage T-shirt because mm. how else does somebody come up to a writer and say, mm-hmm. hey, I love Courage. Oh, well, I, I worked on the show. Um, <laughs> I was wearing the courage shirt <laughs> and, and, and a guy came up to me and I, we got to talking and he and I have I have it shot it on video on my camera on my phone. He did the Schwick monologue perfectly. Wow. He had it memorized wow. and it was just this random meet, you know, and yeah, at Comic-Con San Diego. Yes, that's that is where you'd meet. You somebody. got the right demographic there right. for that that's t- where you sort find of occurrence. That, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But but oh, my God, this is something I remember sitting alone and writing this in my underwear at three in the morning. Mm-hmm. And here I am fully clothed and, <laughs> in my and, courage and, T-shirt. <laughs> right. In my courage shirt. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and this stranger is performing this thing for me. Exactly. That's amazing. Heard it. And, and it's it, uh, mad. It makes you want to get up in the morning and. and, and yeah. And live live a life. You're it's you're amazing. speaking to two two writers at heart. You know, growing up, that's all I did was fill notebooks, and you know, Christian went to school for it. Like we understand that so deeply, and the idea that something that you invent in your head, um, it means what it means to you, and then you put it out there, and it can just go in all these directions that you never would have expected. When I was working on Alf, uh, the 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 primetime series, yeah. Uh, 
Alf Tales, the cartoon. We were doing an episode in which Alf was terrified of dying in an earthquake. I didn't write the episode, but we're sitting around the table as writers do. And, and we were coming up with Alf spitting out euphemisms for death. This is what he's afraid of. Mm. And you know, everybody's saying kicking up daisies, mm. buy, you know, buying the farm. That was the task. And of course, I have to make it harder for myself. So, all right. What has nobody ever come up with before? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I contributed by the box condo. I don't want to buy the box. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, and, uh, yeah, that's good. And, and so a, a couple of years later, I was working Parker Lewis. Wendy, who did makeup on the show, used that phrase to describe a recent death. And I said, where did you hear that? And she said, I think. Isn't that something people say all the time? Said, <laughs> wow. Maybe now I said, but you made but, it. But she, <laughs> yeah, I might have heard it on Alf. And then cut to recently. And my buddy from high school, Barry Letterman, who was a, a, a math genius and a trombone player and one of the funniest people I know. Barry became an Orthodox rabbi in uh, San Diego. Still hilarious guy. And we text a lot, you know, like stupid, really stupid jokes. And he. He called me up one day and he said, you're famous. And I said, what do you mean? Rabbi nice to Barry? hear, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said, you know, those Uncle John's bathroom readers books. And I said, yeah, I've seen them in bathrooms. There are several volumes. He said, did you see the latest volume? I said, no, I don't have a subscription. No. <laughs> please, please tell me hey, wh wh where are you going with this? And he said, remember, you bought the box condo thing. There was just in this bathroom reader. It was euphemisms for death. Oh, and he wow. said, My he said, God. I said, it said bought the box condo. He said, no, it said bought the pine condo. He said, yours is better. Mm -hmm. Agreed. But this has to have come from your, you know, this mm -hmm. is it has to have a misremembering. Yeah. And I said, but it's a, it's a different thing. Maybe somebody thought of it. And then he went spiritually as a rabbi and as a brilliant mathematician started trying to prove to me how in, <laughs> in the harmony of the universe, this had to be from my Original. Yeah. <laughs> How statistically unlikely it would be for somebody else to come up with the same words yeah. in that fashion. And, and and whether yes or no, I mean, you know, people hear things and reconstruct things. Yes. And, you know, to this day, I, I, I can't be sure that I didn't hear it, you know, prior to that. But that's 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 just really like, you know, beyond memes and all even before memes mm -hmm. for this getting a, just a, a, a random line of dialogue into the culture. Yes, is is just is just it's a, a legacy of amazing. a whole different kind. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, like, and, and they don't they don't send you like money for that, but <laughs> it's it's uh, it's very rewarding. They should. <laughs> yeah, I got I got something in the Urban Dictionary last year, which is same old shit, different asshole. So hey, it's nice. in the urban dictionary. That That's pretty cool. I like that. that. Absolutely. Counts. It's not exactly the, the same level of cool that David's talking about. Very right? similar. Though. <laughs> I wanted to ask you too, Jody, like what kind of, you have any, any compositions from the show or anything that lives with you still? I think um, there's a lot of stuff that's the very popular stuff with the audience, like Jalost and uh, yeah. Human Habit Trail and stuff like that, that I know. Yeah. you know, is like inordinately hip, you know, that's just so memorable, you know, much more beloved. Yeah. Yeah. Much more beloved. But um, they're like all my kids, you mm -hmm. know, there's a thing that happens when you're really tired or when you're, you just don't feel like it and you have no inspiration. 
you just go for it. You just let mm-hmm. it leak out of you, whatever you got to do, because you have to. I remember listening back and going, oh, that sucks, but I have no more time. I'm already lying, you know? <laughs> and then like a month later, I don't know what piece I thought was so terrible mm-hmm. um, because it's kind of, it's all of a piece. You just do mm-hmm. it. And so like, I, I'm pretty much enamored of most of that show. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's stuff like um, the great Fusili, Yep. which a lot of people hated. And, uh, you know, I really had a lot of fun with that. I think they hated it because it was so it was so creepy. It was very creepy. <laughs> that that it, it would creep out even a Courage fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the funny th- th- it did. And one of the things that was really funny about that, I tried to um, get a very specific thing going in the drums. There was like a kind of a drunken umpa thing going on. There. Mm. <laughs> Don't, right. Yeah. And um, I couldn't play it badly enough. So, uh, <laughs> so oh, Marty man. Grabstein came and played it on a that's snare so drum. Great. So it's that's, Marty. There's a lot of awesome. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of oh, stuff like that. Like the sitar in that show is played by Linda Semensky. Wow. Wow. So John, because of Linda being such an advocate of his, wanted Muriel to play sitar yeah. because yeah. Linda played sitar. That's yeah. amazing. So I called her up and said, <laughs> can you go in the studio and do like some warm-up exercises Incredible. on the sitar? You know, and you can get as busy as you want or as whatever. So I took the, I didn't want them to be so great that it would be like, oh my God, Muriel's like, what the f- is she doing in nowhere? She's, you know. <laughs> so Linda just did these warm-up exercises. And I played a bunch of stuff around it. Andy played a bunch of stuff. But the the core of that is Linda. There's a lot of stuff in that show mm. like that that is very memorable to me and very mm. memorable and very exciting because it was kind of out of the ordinary, you know. Wow. And she clearly kids. was invested in the show beyond just, Oh, yeah, know, she was totally into it. I mean, to the network. I, call, I told her how to join ASCAP and everything, and she joined ASCAP. And you know, it was kind of cool. Yeah. You know, yeah, and also there, awesome. there are these little cues that became so iconic, one of which you guys had mentioned before, like what I call the anxiety cue. Right. Yeah. Well, if you listen to the anxiety cue, it's just SOS. It's like a version of... Yeah. You're, you're blowing my mind right now, but I hear it in my head. So it'd be like... Courage would get very excited, yeah. you know, and, and would uh, attempt to do something. This would either be the catalyst for him to take on a task mm-hmm. or it'd be something while he was taking on right. a task, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it goes yes. into like Mission yes. Impossible mode, yeah. Exactly, like, mm-hmm. exactly. And, you know, so it was built up into different ones, like a couple of times we did bongos. with we, mm-hmm. Andy and I did all kinds of stuff with it to make it work. Incredible. But the original one was literally SOS. It's like, what that's, can we do? And John was like, oh, that's so great. <laughs> that's why I, I, I want to point out also. And I didn't know that about the SOS. That's hilarious. <laughs> There's always something you find out. But uh, Muriel did uh, get out of nowhere to perform at Radio City. That's correct. In Music that Hall in, in Courage of the Big Stinking City. And, and that, <laughs> you know, that's that's Linda. And, and uh, that's the reason <laughs> that, that episode exists. Awesome. I remember, I 
I remember a discussion with John and it's, it's hard to remember what, you know, what came from where. But I remember John saying to me, you mean the train is going to drive right up onto the stage? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember seeing him process that. And boy, did he make it work brilliantly. Uh, you know, often it was there were two episodes, I think, that, that he was like out of the country and nobody knew where it was. And I was like, <laughs> Uncommon Cold and Wrath of the Librarian. Mm. As mentioned, those two episodes, uh, and I like them a lot. And the show had to produce its product. Mm-hmm. Sure, and John yeah. wasn't there, so Winnie Chafee, the, the the line producer, who Jody and I love, and she 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 worked on Alf Tales. I didn't know who she was. I knew um, her name, and she knew me decades later when I was working on Courage and knew my work, and it was wild. But uh, we uh, love when those things happen yeah it just yeah, falls yeah. in on itself because that comes up with a lot of what we what we talk about i think that's why so much of it is so it feels so similar to us that we grew up on it was all the same people mm-hmm. behind it yeah it's it's it, you find these threads and and uh to this day i'll be watching something and i'll think boy that performer whoever that is is i'd love to and then i realized well either i did work with that person or i worked with somebody who worked with him, mm-hmm. you know, the degrees of separation get smaller and smaller. Right. They do. Yeah. And when and when the first movie you write stars, the voice of Kevin Bacon and it's produced by Steven Spielberg. Really, where do you go? <laughs> yeah, where, you where never get you another movie produced that that was uh, Balto. Right. Balto. I, I've been wanting to bring up Balto for the entire time and I <laughs> found a way to work it in. We're going to so cover Balto one day. So yeah, we're going to oh, do a whole sorry. episode. We'll on have Balto. to pick your brain on that big. Oh, time. definitely. Yeah. Balto uh, was was formative for me. Talking dogs are me. Talking dogs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talking yeah, yeah. dogs were me, too. Picking just to that. insert but, yeah. that Balto, anecdote. I like as a kid, I would write, like I said, I would fill journals and write, just writing constantly all the time. And my mom tells me to this day, she was like, you, you wrote so many stories about talking dogs, like dogs <laughs> speaking, dogs experience, like what was going on with a dog. And it was always from the dog's point of view. And I was like, well, mom, you know, I grew up on Courage and Balto and, you know, all these Oliver and company Disney Call did Call the it, Wild you know? too. We had um, to read that for school. Oh yeah, that's wild. true. Mm-hmm. And I was always looking at the world from that perspective. But all the cartoons all had talking animals. Yeah, just yeah. to be clear, I didn't write Call of the Wild. The, other- <laughs> <laughs> the sure. common mistake. Sure, sure. <laughs> but yeah, Balto, Balto was huge. And I, I talk to Thank Christian you. about it all the time. I cannot wait to, to cover Balto on, on the show. Because- yeah, I mean, because you just closed our connection to Kevin Bacon. Yeah. You know, oh, that, that much more. That yeah. Much more. I know you're, you're just now you're just am on I the one the degree of Kevin Bacon or you two degrees of Kevin. Uh, make, I yeah. think or two degrees. Yeah, I think we'd be two. Yeah, I don't it know. Sounds like two. I guess Love the highest point you can get. Do you hear that, <laughs> listener? We, we're now two degrees. So and that you, makes our listeners. Know us, he put recently recently posted a short clip of himself in Central Park. And there's a statue of Balto in Central Park. Yes, yes, and yes. He's like he's like <laughs> walking right. up and he goes, hey, I played this guy. Oh, <laughs> it's like like, awesome. and, you know, it's good. He's, yeah, he, he does nice little videos. He and his wife, Kira Sedgwick. That is so mm. great. Yeah, I, I've mine. been to New York. Oh, of course they did. Uh, or something uh, like that. Or the times nephew. that I've been to New York, I've had that statue, visiting that statue on my list of things to do, and I still haven't made it there in, in my visits. So it's Let still me know when list. you're here. Let me know when you're here. Uh, yeah, I, I want to go, go with you. I want to go. Yes, with. I would love to do that. Oh, my gosh. You, you have no idea. You talk about fangirling. Like, child Kaylin <laughs> is losing her mind. <laughs> Balto, wow. Balto was huge for me. Sorry, you're, you're, I, you're, you're, 
You're blowing my mind and Jody's, I'm sure, in terms of I can't tell you how grateful I'll speak for both of us. We are to hear how grateful you are. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I had told Christian that I hoped this would be the, you know, the love fest that we, we get to finally say to someone that made such an impact on us how much of an impact they made. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know how much that means to us you know, on this, the tiny scale, we experience it. So we mean every word of it just so wholeheartedly that you changed our lives. Oh my can't God. Understate yeah. it. Like, I mean, absolutely. Thank you. Define so much of our upbringing. You know, I, I'm always amazed by how many fans of courage, but of uh, some other things too, you know, some other stuff like mm-hmm. I, we've got all kinds of weird accolades from <laughs> Clifford, the big red dog. Yes, Clifford. Different, yeah. Another dog. I was known for a while as the dog composer or <laughs> the composing dog. I don't know which I was, but <laughs> the reality is that um, you get a lot of wacky folks, but you also get people that really touch you. Mm-hmm. you know, oh, go, yeah. Hey. Yeah. Were you, were you going to just talk about it? No, like- you can tell that story. You tell it really well. Oh, thank you. Um, give me a little <laughs> musical accompaniment, Jody. <laughs> well, the story goes a little something like this. Hey, <laughs> yeah. For the, the Clifford movie, wrote, wrote a song. We sent you the song "Until I Go," and, and mm-hmm. uh, I was going to mention it when Jody was talking before about producing a song because, my God, that song shines. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's a terrific song, and I and I say that in tribute to Jody. I mean, it's a terrific record. Mm-hmm. Is, is what I'm saying. First, I'll say we wrote it as a Band-Aid on the Clifford movie. Mm-hmm. There really was no um, tension because Clifford is going away. Clifford thinks he's eating his family out of house and home because he overhears something and he goes yes. off to uh, 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 oh, you know this movie. a talent show. What? I, no, it's sorry, ringing bells, but I yeah. don't remember when or he how goes, I saw it. He goes off to a talent show. And the, the, the prize is a lifetime supply of dog food. So he's going to win this stuff. But he's coming home. Mm-hmm. So he's leaving and he's coming home. Where's the tension in that? You know, sure. it, it, it sort of implied. So we were tasked with writing a song for that moment when he leaves. And I thought, what's the moment? He's coming mm-hmm. back. And, and I thought, what in my life? reminds me of this moment. Like, let mm-hmm. me try to find a re- way to relate to it. I thought, okay, I lived in LA for 10 years and, and we, we had one kid and moved back to New York, had another kid. And then I was traveling back and forth a lot. And I thought of, okay, there's something the kids hate to see you go, but you're coming back. Okay. Mm-hmm. That has resonance to me because they would cry, mm-hmm. you know, I have two boys and they, you know, I was just, daddy. And I thought, well, if I, if I had my lyricist hat on at those moments, I would have said to them, well, I can't come home until I go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, there's the song. It's a yin and yang song. Mm-hmm. And the sun only rises from a dark, dark sky. Answers only come to satisfy why. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it wonderful time writing it with Jody because we were like really inside the music together and the lyrics and mm-hmm. just, it was just like this fabulous experience. And then our frustration is that it was never that nobody submitted it for the Oscars or a grand or anything or made a record of it. It was just mm-hmm. on the soundtrack. So now I've told you the origin of the song. Jody got an email. This was the first of a, of several some years ago. And it was from a woman whose father, who was the patriarch of the family, had been in a car accident and suffered brain damage. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he had um, a music therapy tape. 
music therapy oh. mix that he would listen wow. to. I'm anticipating where you're going with this, and that's already he in, in, in the his granddaughter, the woman's daughter, three years old, four years old, is watching uh, not Balto, is watching Clifford in the mm-hmm. next room, mm-hmm. and the song comes up in full on the closing credits. It's it's a little bit of it in the movie. He hears it from the other room and he brightens up and he he reacted to it. Where can I get a copy of this? I want to put it on his music therapy mix. Oh, wow. And we just had to send her. Sorry, Warner Brothers, go sue me. You didn't make a record of it. We sent her an MP3. <laughs> we got an email from a guy with an autistic daughter. Same story. Yeah. And several more. Yeah. And, mm. and we felt like wow, we really tapped into something mm-hmm. and it came from a genuine, genuine emotion, you know, a real feeling. And, and it's it, it's uh, a great song. I can tell record. you, listener, it's a great song. <laughs> We've heard well, it. Thank you. It had, thank you very much. But it had completely the point is it had completely unintended consequences. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, right. it's kind of like the ripples. It's kind of like ripples, throwing yeah. that rock mm-hmm. in the lake and where are those ripples going to go, you know, and this mm-hmm. was it was really tearful reading that. It's just amazing. You know, we had been through stuff where, you know, it was like, well, it's, is it going to put butts in the seats? You know, all that kind of stuff. You know, they didn't want to spend any more money on Clifford. And if you mm-hmm. look at the song on iTunes, on YouTube now, there's like nine zillion. I remember this. Oh, this is the best. Yes. Song you know, and you get all yep. this. Stuff. The Internet is great. It's horrible and, and wonderful. And that is horrible and wonderful. wonderful. That is one of the ways it's very wonderful, because yeah. it was like, OK, it didn't sell a million records. But guess what? It affected a lot of it people. It affected people in a really good it. way. Yeah. yeah. And it came from the heart. And, and actually, the movie reviewer for The New York Times, A.O. Scott at the time, <laughs> review, reviewed the movie. And, and as I recall, it said, there's no real tension here. I'm paraphrasing. The plot lacks any device by which you'd be concerned as a character in the movie. But there is a very pretty song in there. It kind of, you know, glosses over the moment. I'm rewriting it, I'm sure. But the, po- the, the point was, was made. Great. And I felt good that at least, you know, somebody noticed it at the, the New York Times uh, of all places. But yeah, it, it's. It's really wonderful to know you've had that effect on people, but there was something mm-hmm. so special about that song mm-hmm. and, and the responses that we got. And, and that's the, only the ones we heard. Right. Yeah. It's just infinite. The ripples that are actually out there. Indeed. Yeah. And, you know, while I say that I'm very happy to scare the shit out of little kids, I'm also <laughs> very happy to enable and ennoble them to mm-hmm. go on with the rest of their lives. You know, like, yes. Yeah. So, you do it at the same time. That's Yeah. You did. (laughs) Often. It's amazing, yeah. (laughs) Every day, really. As writers, and I and I I know Jody also you you write music and it's all kind of connected in that way. But we feel like most people or a lot of people have this one theme or idea that they come Mm. back to in their life as kind of a, this is the point that I am consciously and unconsciously trying to make with the things that I write or the things that I make, the things that I create. Really any artist could um, have this going on. Yeah. They say that every artist has the one story they're trying to tell their whole lives. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I believe it, but you hear it a lot. And so 
we were curious to know if you guys had thoughts on that or if you have anything that com- you're just compulsively just trying to get out. It, t- it ties over. into the whole idea that we keep keep coming back to, find ourselves coming back to, of like following the threads and you suddenly yeah. like find yourself following it, whether you mean to or not. Well, Jody and I have talked about it. Uh, for me, the concept of empathy, which I mentioned earlier, which was actually like the, the, the driving force behind this project that I worked on well, Treasure Trekkers not too long ago. I don't know where it's available. Um, it's an animated show, and, and it was empathy. I, I try to put that in everything I do. Mm-hmm. The world could use a lot more of it. Mm-hmm. And Couldn't agree more. You're speaking, when you're writing children's animation, you're speaking to people, little young people, who are developing the sense of empathy as they're watching your show. It's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're three or four years old, it's pretty much you and the planets revolving around you. Mm-hmm. Then within a year or two, you're thinking about what other people might be feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some people never get to that point, um, sadly, or retreat from it uh, or don't care mm-hmm. uh, or use it. There, there are plenty of sociopaths who... <laughs> Who who are good at knowing what other people they use are it to their advantage? Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But to truly not just to care about what somebody else is feeling, but to feel them mm-hmm. in 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 the moment, you know. And and I, I say to people, you know, to me, I, I, through my life, when people were in despair, I didn't know what you know. It's like you want to hold them, you want to save them, you want you mm-hmm. want just the right thing to say. You know, and, and everybody will say something to you. Everybody will say, you know, look, if you got a cold, did you try orange juice? I hear vitamin C. Mm-hmm. Yes. I you think, always want to have something that. to offer. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, but then with life's bigger, you know, the loss of a loved one or whatever, and you don't know what to say. And, and I hate just plugging in predictive text throughout life. My condolences, oh. mm-hmm. you know. I, I love I, that you say it that way because I feel the same same way. That's wonderful, and I, I would have guessed that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I always try to find the right words for everything. And then I, my mother in law was was sick; she was dying, and 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 I I didn't know what to say to her or do to her. But it was a moment she was on a lot of meds, mm-hmm. and she was extremely pleasant at them. <laughs> and I'm not saying she was mm-hmm. unpleasant, but sure, you know, she was having a fine time. It's the first time I saw her without makeup. Also, it was a very mm-hmm. striking moment. And I said, she's beautiful in a way that I've never noticed because she's mm-hmm. was a child actress. So she's painted her oh, face. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, uh, she was starting. I could see she's starting to despair. And I just put my hand on her back. In that moment, I realized that's the only thing that was like, what else can you do for another human? You touch them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're touch, there. You know, you hold somebody. You look at them in the eyes and and you feel what they're feeling. My father would objectify emotion and he would look at me if, I, if as now my eyes are a little teary and he mm-hmm. would say, I can see your eyes are welling and you're probably feeling a warmth inside mm-hmm. in this moment. And, All right. Mm-hmm. Not anymore, dad. <laughs> just, <laughs> just talked about it. And, and, <laughs> and I, I'm not there anymore because he didn't quite know how to deal with emotions. Right. My mom was extremely empathetic to the point of, you know, I have courage scripts of, of, of my show. She was just loving and caring to, that she would read my scripts and, and write notes all over them and put our lip prints on them. Aww. But, but she was 
she was empathetic to a fault. And like, I would be telling her a story in her later years, certainly. And I would say, you know, mom, I can tell you what happened to me today. What happened to you today? Nothing. It's it's nothing really bad. It's not really bad. How bad was it? Nothing. Anyway, (laughs) let me get into the story. She'd be like trying to read my emotion, Mm -hmm. you know, from across the phone. I said, just let me finish the story Mm -hmm. and and we'll get there. But my mom had a great deal of empathy and, uh, I think that that resonates with me throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We all fluctuate between being more empathetic and less empathetic, you know, as, as the moment requires, sure. but, you know, to have the opportunity to quietly, subtly, gently lay in this theme of empathy mm-hmm. and not even have to try because it just starts showing up in your work because mm-hmm. it's, it's what you want to say. And it's there, whether it's a math show or Phil of the Future, mm-hmm. or Balto. It's the bedrock of where you're operating from. So yeah. it's going to end up in there. So mm-hmm. so that's, you know, for me, that, that that's my recurring theme. Mm-hmm. You, you know, that and, and just, you know, wanting people to laugh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and or cry. I just want people to feel. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. But not just what they're feeling. I want them to feel... What other people are feeling too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Beautiful. Yeah. Yep. I'm yeah, part part of that. part of um, you know, Dave and I have talked about this in work and stuff. And for me, this is kind of I would kind of paraphrase Maya Angelou. It's like sort of like, you know, you don't know a man until you walk a mile in his shoes. Mm-hmm. And right. this is very of the world that David is talking about. It's a world that sometimes we don't live in at all, but you can mm-hmm. find people who do live in that world. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that we celebrate. And so for me, it's the whole idea of, there's some people that you can't help but judge because they're, they're monsters and they're evil. But <laughs> there are other people, <laughs> we won't name any names, <laughs> but you know there are folks out there that, you know, well, why do you think that? You know, mm-hmm. what do you mean? You know, and a lot of people are afraid to scratch that scab. Yes. Or, you know, and really kind of talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And right. Curiosity. Talk, yeah, we talk As around. A concept. Each, yeah, we talk around each other, you know, oftentimes. And mm-hmm. I think that if you tried to get to know somebody a little bit, sometimes you can't go very deep and you just go, okay, this is a losing battle. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. Or never see you again. But the reality is it's the same kind of thing. Just really, truly trying to see what the other person is. And it's always mm-hmm. helped me. You know, when I was like, um, I had a like a kind of a blessing, and I'm not going into any spiritual stuff or anything. Um, when I was 12 years old, I was in a car accident. I went through the window mm-hmm. uh, to the street, and I was in a wow. coma. I was in a coma for wow. uh, a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, like my face had to be rebuilt and all is off. But mm. I woke up from that having an incredible empathy and respect for life. Like, sure, oh my yeah. God, this can like disappear in a nanosecond, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And um, it changed me. Mm-hmm. It's always in the back of my head. Not, you know, I don't feel the physical pain. I don't feel any of it. I don't see it. I don't see, you know, my father was telling my sisters, you're going to go visit Jody and, uh, don't be shocked, you know, because yeah. I was all fucked up and bloody and everything. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't remember any of that shit. I just remember that it was like, wow, I'm alive. Wow, pretty cool. Wow, 
And when it was all over, it changed me. What else mm-hmm. can I say? You know, it it's felt incredible. like How old, you, you said you were, you were five, Jody? Twelve. Twelve. Okay. So I, I was putting myself into the thing already because I was five when something happened. But mm-hmm. but at 12, that, you, you know, that's like you're, you're right on the cusp of adolescence. So you're mm-hmm. your brain is already spinning. Mm-hmm. And it is a time when I wonder if, you know, empathy has to be put into check a little when you're an adolescent at the beginning because the world you're separating from a world and you're thinking about yourself and you're trying to find a place in this new world. And, and to have that experience as Mm -hmm. you're sort of crossing that precipice, it must've had had a dramatic effect on, on your adolescence, your young Mm -hmm. adolescence, whether you know it or not. And then you probably know it. Well, I know some of it, but obviously it's, you know, I remember um, looking at a clock and apparently they were stitching me up. And I was seeing this clock and the clock was moving. And mm-hmm. um, my father's cousin was a doctor and was not allowed to operate in this particular hospital. So he kept yelling at the doctor to take the stitches out and put them back in. And of course, I'm lying there. But, um, you know, there's all these little bits and pieces and fragments of it that I remember. But I woke up and I felt like really at peace. And I, again, I'm not going to some sort of whacked out spiritual place. It wasn't no. like I didn't see a white light and I wasn't, <laughs> you know, it yeah. was just, wow, I'm alive. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. good. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's sort of like it gave me a respect for life that I may not have had Before were that. it not for such an experience, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Incredibly formative, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like for myself, I aspire to be more like that, I'll say. Um, yeah. I have but- no idea why I felt so peaceful or what, you know, I just felt like grateful to be alive. And also, there was a like, I remember there's a rainstorm and we were in New Jersey. I had brought my comic book collection with me and my comic books were all over the street. And apparently mm-hmm. I was walking around picking my comic books up, bleeding profusely oh. because <laughs> these were like the Marvel comics. They were the yeah. original fucking yeah. comics. What are you Oh nuts? my God. Prize possession. <laughs> Wow. That was all I gave a shit about, you know. Well, I hadn't discovered girls yet or anything, you know. Sure, so it was yeah. kind of like comic books. That was that it. was the passion. Wow, yeah. <laughs> this kind of uh, that image, at least, it's going to stick with me. I'll say, but that image yeah. kind of ties into um, we we keep jumping in and out of it. But are either of you fans of horror as a genre? Yes, yes, okay. big time, big time. But yeah. certain kinds of horror. Yes, I, I don't really that. like. Jason movies and slasher movies and stuff like that. Right. As Stephen King calls those films morons with cameras. You know, the real, <laughs> you know, although I do like movies, you know, like the um, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, which have some imagination yep. stuff. Sure. But my yeah. favorite stuff is horror comedy stuff like mm-hmm. Evil, Evil Dead, right. stuff like that. You know, that has those elements, those comic elements, but they scare you while you're laughing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, feel I, like th- was this pre or post courage that this was something that you enjoyed? I always loved that stuff. You know, in yeah. fact, John and I have talked about this because John's favorite show, his formative shows were Kolchak, The Night Stalker and The Twilight Zone. Those were mm-hmm. John's inf- biggest influences, mm-hmm. according yeah. to what he told me. And the Kolchak, The Night Stalker starred an actor who you may or may not know, but you might know from The Christmas Story. Darren mm-hmm. McGavin, who was the father of that kid, whatever wow, his name was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Glasses. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's a really kind of, he's almost Eustace in 
used to be in, whatever you call it. You know, he's not quite that much of a dick. Station. Yeah. Station. Yeah. But the thing is that um, this Kolchak thing, he plays like this reporter who's constantly getting drawn into just all kinds of stuff featuring monsters and vampires and all kinds of stuff. And awesome. um, the whole thing of the show is he has to convince other people. So it's very similar to Courage. In Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah, we, yeah. horror as a genre, we talk about on this show a lot and, and our listeners agree. Like a lot of our listeners feel the same way. Like it encompasses so much. Like you said, there's humor. Um, it's it's not just always scary for scary sake. Um, the emotion that we talk about that a lot, the emotional depth and the the grief and exploring those Absolutely. emotions in a, in a safe right. way in terms of a genre a that you're watching way. in entertainment. I think they're fairy tales for adults. I think they yeah. take the fairy tale genre and blow it up. You know, mm-hmm. kids have different fears. You know, mm-hmm. they have prepubescent fears. They have mm-hmm. pubescent fears. You know, but at the end of the day, the fears that adults have of disease, of, you yes. know, just stuff that adults get really scared of, that yes. kids don't get scared of. Well, and courage sure. skirted the, those worlds. I was about to yeah. say, courage really walked the line there. It really did. Yeah, the, the things that scare us, I mean, there, there are certain things that stay with us. I was just reading about age-specific fears. Mm-hmm. A, a fear of separation follows you through Every step of the way, you're afraid of being alone. Yeah. Being left alone, certainly by your parents. I was frightened by horror as a kid in a way that made me scared to watch it. And like, I remember walking into somebody, a friend's home and Frankenstein was on the TV Hmm. and I got scared. (laughs) I said, yeah, I don't, I'm scared to watch it. But there was a, Jody will remember this. There was a, a, a soap opera called Dark Shadows Oh, yeah. Uh, which, you know, has lived on in, in, in movies with Johnny Depp. And, mm-hmm. But it was on every day uh, and it was really cheap. You know, the walls shook every time a coffin lid slammed shut. <laughs> yeah. And Barnabas Collins was the vampire. And it was like afternoon horror. Mm-hmm. And that kind of drew me in. Like, you know, you'd watch it after school mm-hmm. and, and uh, it was schlocky. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't intentionally funny, but it it kind of worked its way in. And I was always a fan of like horror in in, in comic books and right. you know, illustrated novel uh, or you know graphic novels. Now, you know, and and but the first movie I saw, I think about it, the first movie I saw was Jason and the Argonauts. And the Ray Harryhausen films were really important to me too. Yeah, and it was. I remember seeing it with my dad. One of the few normal things I did with my dad and uh, uh, right across the street at the Kent theater on Coney Island Avenue, watching these warriors resurrected out of bones, but without skin, mm-hmm. they just became skeleton warriors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that image stuck with me pretty damn good. Uh, uh, sure. From, you know, the first time I saw it, it could have been last week, you know, mm-hmm. and it fascinated me. It didn't scare me so much because it was so engaging. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between what I thought horror movies would do. I thought horror movies would just scare the shit out of me and make me feel very unhappy about the world and just more <laughs> scared. And, and, you know, yeah, they might. But th- there are layers to them. And, mm-hmm. and you know, sometimes it could be comedy, but the artistry of of them and the audaciousness of you know some of the plots and the places they take mm-hmm. you 
and we all, you know, have a, a fear of death to, mm -hmm. to some extent. And, and part of watching horror is sort of owning, mm -hmm. you know, like I walk out of the theater, I feel, you know, I'm still alive. Mm -hmm. It's like, Joe, it's like you're coming out of the coma. Except mm. just movie theater, uh, uh, yeah, just just like that. Um, Very similar. But but um, you know, I, I then became a fan of the classic horror movies. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, as an adolescent, through the little model kits, you used to like put together a, you know, glue together and paint Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The sure. Man. And the Wolfman, I cut off some hair and I, and I pasted <laughs> it on and I ripped up a, a tissue to make it a shirt. And 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 it was like I really made this. And my brother painted the whole thing and, and ruined it because oh. uh, <laughs> that's what little brothers do. <laughs> yeah. But I always had like this, this like not love, hate, but attraction, repulsion relationship with horror. Mm -hmm. and, I, and yes, I relate that, to that. Big time. You know. And now, I, you know, having been inside of it as a writer, I really adore it. Genres like horror and fantasy let you go deeper into certain things that reality won't let you go deeper into. Right? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, and, and and the show I mentioned earlier that I worked on, Parker Lewis, in the early '90s, it had a lot of fantasy sequences, mm -hmm. and it was talking, it was dealing with the world of adolescence, mm -hmm. and and these fantasy sequences to me told the stories that were inside the heads of us when we were teenagers and the fears and the concerns. We had one episode and it was like a horror movie in which the, the nerd Jerry is sucked into this netherworld of nerds who of geeks who, who have no sense of self value. And he starts fading away and becomes black and white. And, and, and then his friends have to go like, get him out of this other world and this is just mm. a high school show this is that it's, it was you know very much a ferris bueller show and and yeah wow show and and it, it it you know when you tell a story sort of objectively and you sort of present what happened it can be brilliant it can be wonderful mm -hmm. and you can dive into something surreal you might be able to better tell a story or get at the emotional truth I of, think so. of who the characters are Mm -hmm. Again, they're like adult fairy tales. You work through yeah. stuff. The other yeah. thing that's really, really wonderful about that, first of all, I had a completely different experience because I was brought into the horror comedy genre from the first horror film I ever saw, which was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Which was ridiculous. You know, yeah. it was really, really funny. And then I saw the <laughs> other movies after that and the Ray Harryhausen stuff which I was really enamored of because that was Bernard Herrmann's scores. All of that. Really yeah. Was just, yeah. Yeah. Some of the best scores, oh you know, then I went back and I saw stuff like King Kong and I was like, well, what the hell, you know, there's just yeah. such brilliant storytelling, mm -hmm. you know? And so I got enamored of the images in the same way that you, I would write music for courage. You know, I would be, I would be very informed by what people like Bernard Herrmann did, you know, and it was very inspiring. That's cool. I mean, you both you both found your gateways into that genre. Oh yeah, absolutely. in a way that left a mark and lived with you. Absolutely, and That's you cool. know, for me, I mean, he was kind of my hero and still is because he invented a whole musical language that was mm. heretofore, you know, unknown. He invented a cinematic language. Mm. There are many, many other composers that were great, but he was the first one to invent this language. And um, when you think about it. 
His first film was Citizen Kane. His last film was Taxi Driver. Wow. And in between is all the Alfred Hitchcock film. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just ridiculous. The Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone. He did a lot of the music for The Twilight Zone. Wow. Uh, just amazing. This guy was just amazing. Hmm. And each one of his pieces was so iconic and so right that it was kind of very much of the criteria I was talking about before. You know, it was so great that you paid attention to it, but it mm-hmm. didn't distract from what was going on. It didn't distract from the dialogue. It was a piece. They were mm-hmm. all right. ironed together. They all melded together perfectly. Well, and when you left, you were thinking about, you found yourself thinking about the pieces you yeah. know, and the, the music. I, I do that often. Yeah. You know, your, your work has to stand up to someone else's work, stand up with someone else's work. Mm-hmm. Someone like Bernard Herrmann would, would have run roughshod over lesser directors mm-hmm. than the ones who he was fortunate enough to, to work with. Absolutely. His score for Psycho. It's just you, you know, the, the imagery that Hitchcock got up there, you know, stood up to the music, the music it, it supported right. each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be careful who you work with because it, it might elevate you. It might mm-hmm. make you have to be better. <laughs> yeah. It's a house <laughs> of cards. You're building on each other. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. true. But, that, that, yeah, that stuff's like I really cool. But I don't, you know, at the end of the day, I do like some of the elements of some of the scores. In, in some of those things, you know, how iconic is it? If you ever see those Friday the 13th movies, mm-hmm. the score revolves around a guy going. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a guy breathing into a mic and they're okay. adding a delay to it. <laughs> it's so effective. Yeah, it's, well, it's really it's, simple. It lives to me. Something like that lives in that uncanny valley. Like this doesn't sound like it's supposed to sound. And you're mm-hmm. you're playing with the idea of somebody's mind anticipating what you're going to do and then you're not doing it. And, and you guys, you know, did that all the time on courage. We tried. (laughs) I honestly thinking about that. That's something that my dad, I, and before I even had seen the movies, I was very, very young, but my dad would do the to my mom (laughs) and she would get so freaked out because it just brought back that, you know, those moments in the movie. And as a kid, I was like, why are you so scared of this? And then (laughs) once I finally saw it, I was like, Oh, I get, I get it, it now. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, those iconic things, sometimes it's the simplest thing. Yeah, all those little tiny things are great. It's like if you listen to the score in like Rosemary's Baby, this mm. Mia Farrow is singing this, you know, kind of lullaby. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, and it carries. Every time you hear that, you're thinking of the devil. And it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with it. Right. Nothing to do with the devil. It's just the context. <laughs> Well, yeah. speaking of it's that, Christian, do you want to tie this back into our million dollar question? Yeah, I think absolutely. that we're hearing we're hearing um, <laughs> really what we're here to do on That's Pretty Dark is uncover what inspired the dark things that we grew up with, you know, in mm-hmm. the, the 80s and the 90s and getting to speak with you all and hearing your inspirations. It's trickling down into what we knew and because it's what you created from what you knew. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, we constantly talk about what influenced the creators that have influenced us, that generational cycle over and over again. And, we, and I, we talk I love about researching it year. online, but it's way better yeah. to hear it from you. <laughs> so oh, that, yeah. <laughs> that, that thought is like, yeah, why was media so dark in this time in such a creative, beautiful way? Because there's a lot of people. I mean, uh, it was a lot of shows. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you know 
films just films, the, the, it's not just... even just the the cl- straight up horror like spooky scary it's also the emotional you know we think of things like yeah. um land before time and these don bluth movies that were like why did you have to hurt us like that i was gonna say um, yeah the um emotional intelligence huge fan of secret of nim oh, oh, mm-hmm. incredible go ahead sorry no, no <laughs> but like yeah the um emotional intelligence that explored the human condition at such deep depths it's it's interesting because you know that's when jody and i were you know making our careers you know mm-hmm. the 80s into the 90s and and before we knew each other and and when you're doing that when you're working in, you're not like i wasn't paying as much attention to what was going on around me mm-hmm. like i went to the movies you know and i watched tv mm-hmm. um but you know, when I was working in in Hollywood, I was working on on primetime shows. You're lucky if you got to go home once in a while. I think they they pay you mm-hmm. a lot because it's torture. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Except except some shows are fine. It really depends on who's in charge. Uh, right, right. But but um, you know, as far as the zeitgeist of the time, mm-hmm. I don't know that it registered with me as specifically as it did with you, mm-hmm. you know, as, as, as kids who were born into it mm-hmm. and, and, and now looking back at your childhood and then the years just prior to it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, there was always, you know, I said before the, the idea of fantasy or horror, you know, that, that you can explore this way. It, it, that's the stuff I always sought out. I suppose the best way I can answer it is, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I watch what I watch. So I'm, you know, what's the prevailing zeitgeist i hope it's the show the project i'm working on i don't know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that it will be part of the zeitgeist in 20 years i can't predict that you know it's interesting but working on on a lot in hollywood you're, you're walking through all these fantasies when i was working on for instance on parker lewis which was the sony lot which had been the mgm lot mm. so you just need to know that the wizard of oz was shot there yes to, to say oh my god <laughs> You know, I had a spot with my name on it. I lived like I could walk there in 10 minutes, but I never did because I had a spot with my <laughs> name on it. You have to use the parking spot when right. you have it. And uh, they were shooting so many movies uh, uh, there. It, like once, I've but, toured that lot. It's pretty mind blowing just to walk but, by and see the on the sound stages. Yeah, absolutely. And and like they were shooting Hook. So mm. I was I was traveling through these pirates and the extras <laughs> would take like they were there the first time. There they are smoking cigarettes there. By the time the movie was done, I swear they were like actually pirates. You could see that they were their attitudes were different. Mm-hmm. And they were shooting Bram Stoker's Dracula starring, you know, with Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, at the time. And, and Keanu, well, I can call Keanu because we had yeah. the same man- we had the same manager. Uh, <laughs> And, and, a separation. We were like his only clients for 10 minutes at the beginning. He's very successful now. But it was very funny because he, you know, he had this British accent for the movie. And we saw him and he was speaking with this British accent to us, uh, Roger and me. And 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 I and I said, uh, don't want to break the the he said, Yeah, I'm in character. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to lose the accent. <laughs> so I think he might have waited for moments in the movie to lose the accent, but <laughs> but I love the movie and and uh <laughs> It's actually written by somebody who became a, a, you know, a semi friend of mine through mm-hmm. official, you know, like Writers Guild associations, Jim Hart and Francis Ford Coppola mm-hmm. uh, uh, directing it. I got him to autograph in gold pen laser disc collections from The Godfather. It was one was 
to the executive producer of the show it was for his birthday. And then one was for me. Wow, <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Um, so it was it was like so many levels of fantasy in Hollywood because you're the reality of it is a fantasy, you know, and 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 right. and it's like you're traveling through these bubbles of myth that are, are forming now will or won't last mm-hmm. depending upon how the movie does and all the TV shows that are shot there. It was psychedelic. It was one thing like, you know, it like, mm-hmm. and it's, it's so different working in New York on animation because, mm-hmm. you know, you go to an office on 18th street and yeah, you're separated and, from all that stuff. Right. So I live in Brooklyn Heights, which is, you know, Hollywood East, it seems now that Amy Schumer lives here, um, oh, nice. among others. <laughs> the New York Times published her address pretty much. I mean, it's like, don't do that. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's, it's crazy how easy it is sometimes to find things like that. It scares mm-hmm. me so much for people. Yeah. Who- yeah. But but it's it, life is enchanting if you tune into the right frequency, you know, mm-hmm. and if you pay attention to the enchantment. And then mm-hmm. as we were talking about before, and I forget if we were recording or if it was just a conversation we were having earlier, but but you have to pay attention mm-hmm. and absorb as much as you can and mm-hmm. carry it with you. And it's not a burden and you don't even know what you're carrying with you. But like mm-hmm. all these things are just like my head spins now at my age, you know, I'm not that old, I'm not that young. And and <laughs> so I'm in between things. And and this to me is as fascinating and as much a fantasy talking to you and hearing your <laughs> take on what we've done. Mm-hmm. Life is as magical as I always thought it was when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, it's, it's, and it's as tragic great. and it's as tragic as I always feared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. That's what was being spoon fed to us is that life is the most magical thing and the most terrible thing. And we just got just double doses of that in the media that we Mm -hmm. were consuming all the time. Mm. There's so much stuff, you know, obviously there's a legacy post Vietnam that, Mm -hmm. right. You know, you guys got, there was also the Reagan legacy. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, yeah. Well, we had the, the Cold War, right? And then we had the, the missile Cold crisis. Was over, and we had, and it, yeah, all, this all, of, this, all, all these things, the AIDS, all this stuff. fear, right? Yeah. You know, fear and so just, I... Yeah. Culturally, also, we, were fear, we were afraid. Yeah. yeah. Also, you know, in the 50s, you weren't hiding under your desk and ducking covering, thinking that that was going to protect you from a hydrogen bomb. Mm-hmm. But the reality right. is every generation has, you know, their shit that they deal with. But I right. find that... Um, there's some kind of cyclical stuff. If you look at the way the original horror genre began, like in the 20s, then it kind of changed again after the collapse of the world, right. as far as, you know, in 1929. Right. And then it started to come back again, like in the 30s. And that's really mm-hmm. interesting. Once World War II popped up, there's not a lot of great horror movies. The Wolfman didn't come up to the ankles as far as some of that other stuff is concerned. Uh, right. You know, like Frankenstein. For me, the most iconic, wonderful movie of that period is The Bride of Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. which is a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, it is, yeah. And it had, yeah, and it has a gay sensibility from James Whale. Mm-hmm. You know, who who did this? You know, Doctor Pretorius, who was the biggest, like pointed, crisp kind of queen on the. He was hilarious, <laughs> and you know, the in the eighties it became very scary because you had AIDS, you had Ray, you know, some of the best movies for me in the eighties were the fly, Jeff Goldblum, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, dead zone, 
mm-hmm. you know, a lot of Howard Shore scoring, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. uh, all these movies were like really cool. And then some of the, the most terrifying movies, as far as I'm concerned, psychological terror movies were the, the you know, the movies of um, Cronenberg. All those Cronenberg mm-hmm. films yeah. are insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're really terrifying. He directed, um, the, and they, he directed the fly, didn't he? Cronenberg? He directed the yeah. fly, but that's the most commercial movie. His other things yeah. were all dealt with sexual, weird, bizarre viruses and parasites. Mm-hmm. Uh, a movie called The Brood, which is the most mm-hmm. the horrifying movie I've ever seen. Oh. So all that stuff, you know, and then again, in the 90s, The Evil Dead, which was hilariously ridiculous mm-hmm. over the top. And I don't even know if they make real horror movies anymore. I think that in order to be able to make something that's that iconic, I don't think they're willing to take the chances on that. Mm-hmm. They make these big, huge, big budget remakes of yeah. House on Haunted Hill or something, and they're, they're mm-hmm. pretty terrible. You know, they, they have great special effects, but they have no heart. They have mm-hmm. no people. Mm-hmm. They have no characters at all. Yeah, the so, heart I don't know. of the horror is the the people it's yeah, the humans experiencing absolutely. something mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. and the the monster you know if if you're looking at frankenstein's monster you know you're looking at a misunderstood child yeah mm-hmm. who doesn't really want to kill a little girl mm-hmm. just wants to play with her yeah. flower the way right. she's playing with it exactly you, you know and to to have empathy for the monster Mm-hmm. You know, who didn't ask to be created. Yep. Which, right. which, by the way, is is the progenitor of the first line of the Pinocchio song that I sent you. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Dear Papa, I didn't ask to be carved. Yes. Uh, uh. I, which I thought was going to be funny. I thought it was going to be really funny. And then- <laughs> it got a little darker <laughs> as we moved through <laughs> that song. Came kind of uh, uh, bleak, but I, I was like, "Geez, what would it be like to be Pinocchio?" And and that hasn't been explored from a, a, an actual biological level. This is I'm at once in love with magic and fantasy, but also reality. And and you sort of mm-hmm. want things to make sense, even in terms of the invented universe, of course. But you know, I was a very literal child, and and I remember thinking like you'd see a Pinocchio thing. What would it feel like to be Mm -hmm. made out of wood and have to walk around? And then you're turning into a real boy. Mm -hmm. God, that must hurt the wood. And, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, that was I realized as I'm saying this, that my experience with horror was often just the way I'm looking. I was looking at a cartoon that wasn't a horror at all. Although Pinocchio, Mm -hmm. the Disney movie is 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 horrific. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I mean, when Lankwip Lampwick is that? Yeah, yeah Lampwick turns yeah. into a and donkey. Oh my yeah. god, yeah. that's like pure just extraordinary. It's scary. You did, you did, you did a Pinocchio horror. episode, didn't you? We did. Yeah, we talked about yeah, Pinocchio. Listening to it, it is um, it's pretty dark. If if you want to <laughs> call <laughs> if it you that, may say it's, so yourself. If I may yeah, say yeah. so myself, it's definitely pretty dark. But speaking of Pinocchio, I think that's a great opportunity. Thank you, by the way, for everything, all of the insight that you've been able to give us, not only on your careers but the 
you know, the industry at the time and just letting us know that it is as magical um, as we imagine it to be and as horrible at the same time. That's so great. But at this point, I really would love to just briefly, um, you mentioned the Pinocchio song. We're going to lay in a little bit of it because listeners, you guys, they've been so generous to just provide us with these tracks for you to hear. Um, Mm -hmm. And some of them never before heard really um, in this context. So we spent our entire evening last night and most of today. Listening <laughs> we to did yeah you guys sent us <laughs> me too yeah. uh yeah, <laughs> that's great th- thank you for saying that uh, okay. and and the pinocchio it, it's it's something that that you know sort of dropped because of all the pinocchio stuff that was going on mm-hmm. and it was early in the pandemic mm-hmm. uh or before the pandemic and then there was a singer do performing in the neighborhood doing these little street performances that and and he had guests and there was uh, uh a young woman who I knew as a little girl because she went to school with my kids mm. and she's a fabulous singer and she's in London now doing brilliant things. Mm. And, and I was thinking she'd be a great Pinocchio. She recorded a version of it, but ideally, you know, I think we, we imagine a, an operatic, uh, a counter tenor, you mm. know, like mm. some ethereal thin voice for this, essentially Pinocchio's final letter to Geppetto, his final mm-hmm. message to Geppetto. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I had laid down a vocal uh, uh, just as a scratch and because I, I, I'm not an operatic countertenor. But when I sent it to you guys, I said, like, yeah, I wish this sounded better. And then I just <laughs> was playing with logic on the computer and I pitched it up an octave. Mm-hmm. Nice. And, and uh, uh, I played for Jody over the phone. He said, oh, you sang it falsetto. I said, no, 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 the computer <laughs> falsetto. So it, it, it's a little hinky uh, in, in spots because I, I really did it on the fly. You know, very quickly. <laughs> well, it, it does give it that ethereal sort of disembodied. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the word. Yes. Yeah. It's a work in progress, man. It's a work, work in progress. progress. It's great progress. from our perspective. It's well, so great. Thank, That's a lot thank of fun. you. Yeah. And, the, I, I loved working uh, on that song and, and we mm-hmm. want to expand upon it because often, at least I'll write, you know, if I'm writing something, I'll also think, you know, oh, this is the penultimate song in a show, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a musical. I didn't mm-hmm. realize it was writing it. It stands by itself, but man, it implies yes. a story that preceded I, it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Truly. I want to hear that whole musical. Like, I don't care how much Pinocchio stuff is out there. I would, Thanks. I can't get enough, especially after researching it. Right. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it really it just keeps going. The original story, which, you Nate know, Disney. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and it also ain't a well-structured story. No, it was a bit cobbled together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Pinocchio Pinocchio had to be resurrected from the dead, as as you guys know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was left hanging at the side of the road oh. from a tree, Brutal. dead. That was the end of Pinocchio. Brutal. But you can't kill your honey bunnies. Yeah, you can't. Right. Not in that so, case. So, you have to bring him back from the dead. And and, and Carlo Collodi couldn't kill his, and and and, <laughs> and uh, they said, you know, we want to do more stories, so mm-hmm. uh, we cut him down from the tree. And he said, well, okay. And uh, that's how it goes. Yeah, yeah. One hundred and fifty years ago, or whatever it was. Yeah, and it's 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 got a strange malleability. You know, it's a pliable mm-hmm. story that you can. Bend in different in different ways and, for different and, generations, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. and and that that it was a highlight of of Disney's entire you know from yeah. beginning to for now. a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, it it 
because it was dark, because it was far truer to the original story than Cinderella could possibly be, mm-hmm. you know, and, and yeah, horrifying Lampwick turning into the donkey in the shadow. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a horror movie, right? It is a horror movie. It's you know? a horror movie. And mm-hmm. and that's the song is, is Pinocchio, the horror movie. Mm-hmm. Now I'll just say quickly that, that one of everyone's favorite horror comedies musicals is Rocky horror. Yes. Yeah. That's also been a big influence on me. And I was one of the original virgins when it comes to seeing Rocky Horror because I saw it on Broadway live. It ran for like three weeks on Broadway. Wow. My girlfriend in high school had a press pass. She was going to review it for a paper. For, I think she was, was in college, actually, by that point. She was reviewing for a college paper. So we went and we didn't know what to expect. I didn't know anything about it. And I'm sitting there and Tim Curry was in it. And and Richard O'Brien and you know Meatloaf, and it, it had there was a runway and Tim Curry's high kicking over my head <laughs> and singing about being a sweet transvestite and oh my god and oh my god and oh my god, yeah. you know, what the hell did I just see? <laughs> and then it became this, this huge thing, and then I got to work with Richard O'Brien. Wow! Uh, years later, because Roger and I wrote a pilot at Castle Rock called My Dead Body, which got us so much work because it was mm. so good and it was never produced because the person who wanted it to produce it was no longer at the studio. Mm. And it just was like a year of development on a project. But anyway, so we do this thing and, and we don't know what's going to happen with it yet. Spend a week with Richard O'Brien and we're saying goodbye. And in Hollywood, everyone hugs. I hugged Richard and got a pelvic thrust. Wow from the man who invented it, who invented the time warp. <laughs> yeah, literally invented it. I, nice. I don't know if that was his signature move or if, liked <laughs> or if me, it was just for your benefit or if he was drunk. I don't know. <laughs> we'll choose to believe but it was just for you. It was. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it wasn't just for the guy standing next to me. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I appreciated being appreciated uh, <laughs> to you guys um, by Richard O'Brien. I mean, you know, that, that he well enough to do the thing but man that, that was that was a moment a precious moment oh, that's and, great and, and richard o'brien if you're out there please don't sue me uh, uh <laughs> it happened and i and i love you forever yeah we're all okay <laughs> with it here on that's pretty dark which i'm sure you're listening to <laughs> yes oh my gosh there is just i'm sorry i, feel like I, 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 I steered us like into another <laughs> yeah where were we i don't know where we went, but i liked going there yeah, but it was um, i liked it, how we got here yeah, but you know, talking about influences in horror comedy, we deal with so many of our problems through telling tales of the dead, of resurrection, mm-hmm. of superheroes. Mm-hmm. Superman was created by Siegel and Schuster, two Jewish men, mm-hmm. and it was a parable for the stranger coming mm-hmm. to the new place. And I'm sure that these. The, the origins of these horror stories have their own antecedents in the psychology of a culture, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, as well as the psychology of the individual. And sometimes there's very little difference, you know, so it's, it's interesting, you know, I, I would love to do, and, and I think, I think that the world is always ready for a horror comedy musical. Yes. I, I mean, couldn't agree more. <laughs> who, oh, yeah. who would? I know I am personally. Well, okay. Then Jody, we got it. We got to finish. <laughs> got to do it. So, 
Gotta make it happen. Oh my god. Do it for Kaylin. We'll do it for Kaylin and Christian. That's right. We'll be there front row. Oh yeah, seriously. For sure. Well, yeah, I feel like we've just we've been able to explore so much with both of you and I've had the best time, honestly. Um, I would continue talking forever if we could, but I know that your time is so valuable. And so we just are so lucky that you've taken this time. To, to chat with us. And there are even songs that we didn't get to, which I think I would love if you're open to it. We'd love to chat with you about it another time. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, I feel like be, there's just so parts, much. Part six of your conversation. <laughs> yeah. about, well, especially when we get to, to uh, future Courage episodes or characters or whole, I mean, oh, Ride of the Valkyries. I mean, we're going to have to have a whole yes. conversation about that yeah. or something. So we'd love to hear from you guys in the future. Yeah. At any point, stuff. if you just have a courage thought, we would even love if it's to yeah, an it. email or a text or a, a voice message or literally anything. I'll, I'll send oh, you. Cool. I almost texted you, Kaylin. Uh, uh, I just was going to text you back something. And I just looked at my camera reel to see what, what's the last what's the most recent thing I had. Is it a picture I should send to Kaylin just to say thumbs up on the last? And it was a courage tattoo, <laughs> <gasps> you know, no way. And, at, at, but I, I, then I stopped myself. I said, oh, I, I got to get the rest of this thing ready and <laughs> check on the computer. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, sure, awesome. I'm sure we'll be in touch. Um, but there are other songs that we didn't get to talk about that I, I would love to talk about, you know, separately. So hopefully we can give them their due. For sure. Absolutely. This was this was a, a total pleasure. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Truly. We, it was for us. A TP. It was a TP. A I'll TP. Tell you. <laughs> Total pleasure. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for your time. It's incredible. It was so wonderful. Sure, to thank hear. you. For on behalf of us so and the listeners, to hear to hear from both of you is just so invaluable. Mm-hmm. And we can't believe that we are having the opportunity to speak with two of the sources of the darkness that we remember so fondly, and that was the genesis of this whole podcast and so many late night conversations, you know, between the two of us. Um, <laughs> yeah. we can't believe it's gotten to this point. So we're just so, so grateful. Cool. You want to, you want to give them the line? You f***ed us up and we are oh, eternally oh, oh. grateful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see Kaylin typing the note. Like she's like, wait, see I was it like, right, right here. here. Here it is. We have our document open. <laughs> yeah. You f***ed me up. There. Thank you. Yes. yes. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. Incredible. <laughs> well, it was, it was our pleasure. We wouldn't have it any other way. We're, we're equally up f- as you believe me, by by the looking inside the experience in a, in a different way, but thank you so much for for your appreciation and for this. Yes, time. really, truly, thank you so much because uh, it's not often that we get to talk to people who do such a deep dive into this. Well, we're we're honored like, to do it, and we'll keep doing it, and we will keep picking your brains as long mm-hmm. as you let us. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, you can, pick it. <laughs> you can pick it till there's nothing left. That's fine with oh me. man. Cool. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you so, Thank you. so much. pleasure. We'll see you next time. Yes. Next time. Man, oh man. We talked with those guys for so long. We did. It but was, it was such a good time. It felt like we were truly just hanging out with friends. Like, yeah. I could have talked to them all night. And we really, we really almost did. But we really, over five hours. I mean, oh my God, it was so fun. It was, uh, it was after midnight for them. I think it was like 1230 yeah, or one thank you. in New York. Thank you, David. Thank you, Jody. Thank you, You guys. gave us so much of your time. Yeah. You guys were so, so I gracious. Mean, we couldn't appreciate it anymore. Well worth a Friday night spent with yes. some living 
legends. Yes, definitely. And spent with you guys. For sure. Thank you for listening to our 50th episode. Thanks for being here and making all this possible. It's still so wild to me. If we didn't have all the support, I think we would have wanted to keep going with everything. Yeah. But this is a lot of work. It would be harder to just like, if we didn't have the support. So yeah, just every every little message, every email just means the world. And speaking of, you can follow us on our socials yeah. if you would like to interact with us or see, you know, what's coming up. We post, you know, about new episodes mm-hmm. when they're dropping and, you know, all that fun stuff on our social media. You can see Kaylin's face all the time. Yeah, unfortunately. The reels. <laughs> She does all the fun TikTok things. I try really hard to do the TikToks and the loves. reels so that you guys can uh, share them with your friends and it makes it more fun um, to share these memories that we all have. So Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's Pretty Dark Podcast. That's right. That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Really or just That's Pretty Dark on TikTok. Or, right. Where I messed it up. <laughs> oh. And also, if you guys want some more content than 50 episodes, you greedy jerks. <laughs> um, <laughs> You can join our Patreon. You can give us $5 a month or any amount that you want to give. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just posted our first mini episode that was also a video. Yeah, we've posted a couple like little chats here and there. But this is our first like episode that we took from, you know, a, a vignette from another episode, a, a conversation mm-hmm. that we wanted to have and decided to just record it for our patrons. And yep. yeah, the video thing is intimidating. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. You can watch me hesitate and second guess everything that I'm doing. Just watch my face. Just watch Same my face. Though. Think through, oh shit, the camera's on. Yeah. You have to keep talking. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. It's so different, it's fun. but it's, it's so fun. fun. So if you've ever wondered what we look like fun. and you haven't seen us before. We are available for your eyes as well as your ears on our Patreon. <laughs> Ladies. We keep our shirts on. <laughs> Ladies. Ladies. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, patreon.com slash TPD podcast. Go check that out if you want to support us and help us keep doing this thing that we love to do to you every other week. <laughs> you sounded like such a radio personality right there. I really liked it. Uh, yeah, well, if we had an actual sign-off. We wouldn't have to do <laughs> We could. Well, I mean, we could, you know, we would be more radio. But who needs a sign-off? Who, who needs I'd it, really? I'd rather stay signed on with you guys, you darklings. Don't you guys like it that we struggle to close every episode? Isn't that way more fun <laughs> 50 times in a row? <laughs> the closest thing I have right now is don't trust strangers yeah. and uh, don't burn books because banning books is fascism. So Yeah, don't do that. Support education. Support reading and learning. Support the writers. Support the writers of the media that yeah, we speaking of, love so much. The strike is good, everybody. If you're if you're wondering, if you don't really know what's going on. Imagine a world where we didn't have writers getting everything from point A to point B. Yeah. None of the streaming services would make any money. Yeah. None of the networks and TV would make any money. None of them ever would have. You know, like everything begins with the writers. And honestly, it's a really perfect time for us to have just been able to have these conversations with David and Jody because mm-hmm. it further illustrates that that conveyor belt can't be can't start unless you have writers unless you have a script unless you have mm-hmm. a story and that's the whole it's true you know it's not writer greed it's the company greed yeah. that doesn't want to pay the writers the corporate greed is the the, the enemy here greed. and we really want to you know we Christian and I both feel that artists should be compensated for their work mm-hmm. because their art is just as important as everything else um, if not more so, especially to us. So. Absolutely. Yeah. If you want to see some fun pictures of everything that's going on in New York, you can go to David's uh, oh, Instagram. Oh, yeah. Nishir. And he's been posting because he's on the front lines He's down on the there. front lines of this this picket, this picket line. It's super so. fun. His, uh, his mask got picked up by... Uh, the New York um, Times. The New York Times. Yeah. yeah. His, uh, his, a photo of him. As it should. Yeah. Super fun stuff. As it should. Yeah, guys. Until next time. Until we get back to our regularly scheduled programming. 
Thanks yeah, for listening. With just the two of us next time. Yeah, just us. <laughs> you guys are probably really going to miss David and Jody. Back to normal. We'll be glad to be with the Darklings once again. Just us two and all of you. Man, we're so good at rhyming. <laughs> it's always like two or you. Every or time. Ew. <laughs> Ew. You. <laughs> Ew. Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark. Written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone. So, until next time, sweet dreams, everyone. <laughs>